Well, good morning, everyone. As Chris said, we're well into our series in Colossians now. We began by looking at theology made simple. Then we looked at God's will made simple. And then last week, we looked at the gospel made simple. Although I think you'd probably agree with me that um, Paul's teaching often isn't that simple. It, we've um, gone into great depth in, in some of his teaching here. But there's been one simple message that has, has flowed throughout, a very uncomplicated message uh, that has emerged every single week. And it's this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus demonstrating the amazing grace of God. Jesus is all that matters. He's all we need for salvation That amazing uh, little phrase that we've used, I think, every week, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In the middle of uh, chapter one, Paul told us why, and Tom helpfully opened it up for us last week. Jesus is God, and in him all things were created, held together, and in him we've been reconciled to God. Jesus is enough. Jesus is everything. And this morning we have the opportunity, a rare glimpse to see deep inside Paul as he lays bare his heart for the church, particularly at Colossae. And as he pleads with them, please don't be taken in by leaders who seem genuine and great, but are actually beginning to lead you astray. In chapter one, if you remember, we discover that in the church in Colossae uh, was founded by Epaphras, possibly one of Paul's converts. And Paul refers to him as a dear fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ. Well, Epaphras has come up against some smooth talking, persuasive uh, preachers who are incredibly eloquent, but who are sadly deviating from the truth by adding things to the gospel. And the problem with fine sounding arguments, as Paul calls them, is that they can easily convince us, can't they? And we can get sucked into their lies. We see this in the media, particularly, I think, over the last 12 months with the increase of fake news. It can be so convincing that sometimes we can't tell whether it is or not. But also scams. I was reminded of this this week, the example of that scam that came out, um, inviting people for their COVID vaccination. It seems so genuine. And somebody was saying, as you scrolled through, it all made sense until you got to the last bit when it asked you for your credit card. This is what was happening in Colossae. They weren't being asked to be given, giving their credit card, but they were being offered a scam. It all sounded fine, but they were given an, a message of the gospel plus. You needed something else. So Paul writes to the Christians from his prison cell to remind the church to only listen to those leaders who follow Jesus alone and who preach Jesus alone. So now that Paul has underlined the truth and the importance of Jesus, he goes on to show and to explain to the Christians in Colossae what this means for him personally as he follows Jesus, as he lives out his ministry, what it looks like. He gives himself as an example to them of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. And we've called it Ministry Made Simple. So if you've got your Bibles, I do encourage you to, to open them and look at Colossians. We're going to be uh, reading from verse 24. You can also use the Bible app if you're on our YouTube channel. So let's, uh, let's read together beginning at verse uh, 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, says Paul, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, 
the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend or strenuously struggle with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. In the last few verses of chapter one, Paul gives us a personal reflection of what it means to be called a minister of the church. And then in chapter two, at the beginning of chapter two, Paul then gives us a glimpse of his heart for the members of the church. Paul uses three words to describe the task of ministry that he's been called to. He talks to him of himself as someone who is suffering for the sake of the church. He talks of himself as a servant and as one who struggles tirelessly. So let's look first at suffering. In verse 24, Paul talks about the joy and the, and the suffering that he has for the sake of the church. What does Paul mean by that phrase, that he's filling up in his flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church? It's a tricky phrase, isn't it? Well, we do know that he can't possibly mean that Jesus' suffering death on the cross was in any way insufficient or not enough to save us. For He's already underlined that so many times in this letter in Colossians. And every time you read one of his letters, he says, we are saved through the work of Jesus alone. So he can't possibly be saying that. I think what Paul has discovered is, is this, that as he follows Jesus, he faces the same treatment that Jesus faced, the same rejection that Jesus received. And in fact, if you think back to Jesus's teaching, Jesus um, warned his disciples to expect suffering. Jesus taught, didn't he, that his disciples must take up their cross and follow him. He taught that they would face persecution and even, even death for him. This isn't in any way to gain God's favour. Rather, Paul sees it as a privilege to be suffering for Christ. Perhaps even recognising that by suffering, he somehow is lessening the suffering of the church he serves. Paul also calls himself a servant. He refers to himself in verse 23 at the end of our passage last week as a servant and a servant of the gospel. And then in verse 25 here, he says he's becoming a servant that is called by God. The word that he uses here, the word servant, is, is a word for a waiter, not the waiter who comes with, with your food, but the waiter who clears the table and washes the dishes. There's no hint of any status here in this word. And if you think about other letters that Paul has written, he often begins with the words, doesn't he? Paul, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Think of uh, Romans 1, where he uses the word slave. 
He speaks in that word of submission and of obedience to a higher authority. So for Paul, Jesus is that higher authority. He is the one, as he said, who is before all things, the one who holds all things together. He refers, doesn't he, to Jesus as the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the one who is reconciling all things to himself through his death on the cross. And it's to him, that, G, that uh, to Jesus, that Paul submits. It's to him, Jesus, that he serves. Is that not the way of Jesus himself? In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus says to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the one who calls Paul, lived to serve. Jesus followed, uh, showed his followers a different way of leading, didn't he? In a world where at times uh, leadership has become more about power and influence, it's often about manipulation and self-promotion, Paul follows a vastly different style of leadership. A style of leadership that is a Jesus style of leadership. It's about serving and submission and selflessness. But then in verse 29 and in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Paul starts to talk about his struggles. He's building, isn't he, a very different picture of what leadership looks like. Very different from those ones who are bringing these fine-sounding arguments. He shares about his struggle in ministry. The task of being a minister is not an easy one. The purpose of his calling is to be a servant entrusted with the good news and suffering for following Jesus. He's suffering and he's struggling and he's a servant who longs to present the word of God in all its fullness to the church, he says in verse 25. He wants to faithfully preach God's word, whatever it costs. But he also wants and has a, um, a purpose of presenting those that he's teaching and leading perfect in Christ. He says that in verse 28. It's for this reason, to present the word of God faithfully and to see those that he presents the word of God to becoming perfect in Christ. That's the reason that he struggles so tirelessly. He doesn't want to fail in the task that God has given him. Because Paul has one goal. It's to proclaim Jesus he wants to enable other people to follow him and keep following him until they become mature in Christ. He's servant, suffering, struggling. They're not really words that we'd use in the 21st century for leadership, are they? But as Paul shares his heart, there's such a challenge, isn't there, for those of us in ministry and particularly timely for me this week as I stand here about to embark on a next chapter of ministry myself. But are these not characteristics that Jesus requires of each one of us as we follow him? We are all his body called to serve him, called to suffer for him, called to struggle as we follow Jesus. We're all called to know his word, aren't we? We're all called to become more like him. We're all called to live as Jesus lived but not without these wonderful words in verse 29. 
Paul says all of that, but with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I love this verse so much. With Jesus's energy. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the source of the ministry, but he's also the strength that is in us, working in us. It's not something that we have to do on our our own. And Paul has grasped this, hasn't he? And he wants this little church in Colossae to grasp that Jesus is not only the goal, the way to the goal, but he's also the strength that's needed to make the journey to that goal. We are given his strength to live the Jesus way. So here we have an insight into Paul's heart for ministry. And now just briefly, we're going to look at Paul's heart for the members of the church too. Why does Paul suffer and struggle for the church? Well, he longs for them to grasp the mystery that's been revealed. So let's read verse 27. To them, his church, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul keeps talking about this mystery because the Colossians were offered a secret ingredient. They were being told that they needed to add this mystery ingredient to their faith to become better Christians. But Paul is speaking into that by sharing that the greatest mystery of all has been uncovered. It's been made known. It's already been told to them. And that mystery is Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who died on the cross and rose again and has not only presented them as faultless and free from accusation before God, but he now lives in them. Now, in Paul's writings, you'll often read him talking about being about Christians being in Christ. And it's something we'll come back to again and again in Colossians. But here, Paul wants to make a different emphasis. He knows the Christians need to realize that they do not need anything else in their faith because Jesus is in them. Jesus Christ, who is now risen, ascended with the Father at the right hand of the Father in heaven, is also living in you, says Paul. Now, until Jesus came, God lived among his people. Now, because of Jesus, he has chosen to make his home, his dwelling in his people. This is our promise. It's the promise to those who trust in Jesus that the fullness of God's power in exalted Jesus is now in us. We don't need anything else. That phrase again, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Paul continues to build on this promise in Christ in us by um, using the phrase then, the hope of glory. And this is really important because it reminds us that our faith is about now and not yet. Yes, Jesus lives in us, but we're not yet perfect. Yes, we've been reconciled to God, holy in his sight, but only if we continue in our faith, verse 23. It's a tension that Paul recognises we all walk in, but he says, don't be tripped up by it. He says, we have blessings now and we have blessings that we have to wait for. Blessings that are promised and hoped for now and blessings that are promised and hoped for in the future The experience of Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith gives us hope now and for the future. The Christ who is in us is in heaven too, and therefore our hope is in heaven. 
And so the two parts of this sentence must always be held together, they must always be read together, and they must always be lived out in our lives together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This helps us, doesn't it, when we face difficult times, when we fail, when we suffer, or when life just simply doesn't seem to make sense. In the now, we hold on to the truth that Christ is in us. And we remember that the risen Christ is at the hand, right hand of the Father. And in the now of that, we hold on to the truth of the hope of glory in the future. I wonder if that's perhaps a word for you today. Perhaps surrounded by pain and suffering. Perhaps affected by this ongoing crisis that we're facing. Doubts begin to come into our minds, don't they? We start to wonder where God is. Let me encourage you, hold on this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, hold on to this simple but amazing truth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to look now a little bit at the outworking of this mystery that Paul is talking about. So let's have a a look at verse 2 as we uh, draw to a close. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Here Paul reveals the purpose of his suffering and his struggling in the service to the church and why he's so burdened for them. He longs for them to understand that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that they could ever hope for. They don't need anything else. Again and again, Paul is saying, don't be deceived, don't be misled, don't be tricked into thinking that you need something else. Jesus is enough. As I look back over the past week, I encourage you just to to look back over the past week and ask this question. Have I lived believing that Jesus is enough? Enough to save me from my sin, from my waywardness, from the folly of leaving God out of my life? Do I believe that Jesus is enough to sustain me when life doesn't make sense, when the chips are down, when the diagnosis is terminal? Do I believe that Jesus is enough when my marriage is failing or my children are demanding or I've argued with my closest friend? Do I believe Jesus is enough when I receive a call to full-time ministry or to the mission, going out as a, um, as a mission overseas or to be a youth worker or go into chaplaincy? Do I believe Jesus would be enough if I gave everything up and obeyed him? Do I believe that Jesus is enough when my finances are fragile or my job is insecure or my savings have run out? Do I believe Jesus is enough when COVID steals thousands of lives a week and there seems to be no reprieve? Or do I believe that Jesus is enough when just getting up to face another day seems like too much? Brothers and sisters, these words from Paul here in this passage are rich words. His heart is that we understand God in all his fullness. If you look at verse 27, Paul says he wants us to know God's glorious riches which are in Christ Chapter 2, verse 2, he talks of the full riches of complete understanding. In in verse 3, he talks of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen to these lavish, descriptive, expressive words of what knowing Jesus is like. 
Yes, Paul says, ministry is one of struggle and suffering and serving, and your life will be too if you follow Jesus. But look at what's on offer. Paul speaks to us so openly from his own experience. He knows and and has proved that, that Jesus is all he needs, even in the middle of all the things I've just talked about, even in the middle of suffering and struggling and serving for Paul from prison. Treasure, fullness, riches beyond our imagining, all found in the person of God's one and only son, our saviour, Jesus. So no wonder Paul's purpose is to encourage the church to be united in love. Did you notice that in verse two? We need each other, folks, maybe more now more than ever. God loves the church, Jesus's body of which he, Jesus, is the head. God loves the church for whom he was willing to die. And it's as we choose to love one another, as we choose to serve one another and go on this journey together, that we discover more of who God is. We discover more of the truth that Jesus is all we need, that he is enough and that we can put our hope in him for the future. Just think uh, to finish, verse five is great, isn't it? For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is quite pertinent to our times, aren't they, as we can't be together. But look at the encouragement that Paul gives them. Even though they can't be together as we can't, he's so encouraged that they're standing firm in their faith in Jesus. And that's my prayer for each of us today. Let's grasp what it means to know Jesus, the hope of glory, that he lives in us. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you so much that Paul bared his soul and helped us to see what it means that Christ lives in us, that whatever we face, we know the strength of you, Christ, living in us. And we thank you for the hope that we have because of this. Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling today, that they would know again, that we would know again the truth that you, Jesus, are in us. And we don't need to struggle and strive on our own because we have your strength at work within us. May we together learn again to rely on your strength, to live in your strength and to remember and remind one another that Christ is in us and that we have hope for the future. We ask, Father, keep teaching us these wonderful truths and let us always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we pray. Amen.